Before we start this week's show, I'd like to remind you that The Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers, as well as subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America. You can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee every month. And in return, you'll get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind the scenes content, as well as a shout out here on our podcast. And today I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Louise Renz, Erwin Menais, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vriesvik, Alistair Townsend, Peter Abramson, Michael Fryer, Miller Renacido, Jim Awofadeju, David Dixon, Felipe Saito, Jose Ozi Stankovic, Gabriela Graf Innes, Emerging Market Muser, Jarden Eftach, Tonica Thompson, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you also believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. And if you can't make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. We appreciate all your support. So click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. In a couple of weeks, Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva will have served 100 days of his third term as head of state. But despite some big promises, not too much has changed in Brazil. And this isn't all down to the government. Plans for a fast-moving honeymoon period were railroaded by the January 8th riots in Brasilia, by the Yanomami health crisis and by a healthy dollop of infighting in Brazil's Congress. On February the 1st, all attention turned to the elections for House Speaker and Senate President. The ideological makeup of Congress meant that an out-and-out opponent leading either of the chambers could have spelled disaster for the Lula government. But disaster was averted, as both Artur Lira and Rodrigo Pacheco were re-elected. But then it took an extra six weeks for the lower House of Congress to set up its standing committees, meaning that by day 75 of Lula's first 100 days, not a single bit of legislation could be passed. And now, another deadlock in Brazil's legislative branch. My name's Ewan Marshall, Deputy Editor of the Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. Artur Lira, the Speaker of the Lower House, and Senate President Rodrigo Pacheco are locked in a dispute over the so-called provisional decrees issued by the federal government. And this is a crucial lawmaking tool for any Brazilian president, particularly at the beginning of a term. And while this procedural wrangling might sound an awful lot like inside baseball, something that only bona fide Brazilian politics addicts should care about, today we'll explain its real-world consequences and how a tiff between two congressional authorities could affect the lives of millions. And to do that, I've reached out to a Brasilia correspondent, Sede Silva, who's been keeping up with all the ins and outs related to Congress. Sede, how are you? Great to have you back on the show. Uh, I'm fine, Ewan. Thank you for having me. 
So, Sidney, just get us started here. What exactly are provisional decrees? And can you, know, can you explain the background of this current disagreement? So provisional decrees are a tool that the president of Brazil has available, which are similar to presidential executive orders in the United States, but they are more powerful. A provisional decree essentially is a law that enters into effect immediately before Congress gets a say, but this law is only valid for up to four months, uh, up to 120 days. Um, so sometimes when the president has an urgent uh, measure that he wants to take and he needs a law to approve it, but he doesn't want Congress to discuss it first, what he'll do, the president signs a provisional measure, it enters into effect immediately, and then Congress has an opportunity uh, to either strike down this measure or if Congress takes no action in four months, then the law is not valid anymore. So yeah, it's quite a powerful piece of legislation, this. I mean, you issue a decree, it automatically becomes law, and then it's up to Congress to deal with it. And it seems like the issue here regards how Congress should deal with it, right? Is that correct? Precisely. Um, as you can see, uh, provisional measures are a very important tool available to the president, and they can use the provisional measure for several things, including, for example, enacting the law that uh, readjusts the minimum wage and also um, do some important measures in relation to taxes or to the organization of the government. And this is why being a, a tool that is very important for the president, uh, you have now a disagreement by House Speaker Arthur Lira, who is very ambitious and very, very power hungry. And he wants to place a larger check on this uh, measure available to the president. And in that way, increasing the power of Congress and decreasing the power of the president. So originally, these decrees would go through what's called a joint committee, which has some people from the House, some people from the Senate, and then they'd analyze each one of these decrees from the government before anyone else. So now this all changed during the COVID pandemic because they had so many decrees, they needed a faster way of doing things. So they started sending them straight to the lower house. But now that the pandemic has subsided in Brazil, it's time to go back to the usual arrangement. But Artur Lira, the House Speaker, he doesn't want to, does he? And why would he be against it? And, you know, his opponents are saying that he's violating the Constitution. So, you know, like, what's going on with Artur Lira? Okay, so the Constitution clearly states that the provisional decrees, they will be discussed first by the Joint Committees, as you said, which is a committee which contains both House members and senators. And after the committee uh, discusses the provisional decree, then it goes to a vote in the Congress floor, which means by all the lawmakers. So during the start of the pandemic, um, Congress uh, enacted a rule. They, they changed this rule and the provisional measures were now able to bypass uh, the joint committees and they were voted immediately on the floor. This is very important for Nachtur Lira because um, he advanced a lot of his power in the House by holding power over what gets discussed in the House floor and what does not. And during the second half of the Bolsonaro administration, which is the first term of Arthur Lira as House Speaker, he used this power extensively to pay favors to the Bolsonaro administration. For example, 
there was a tax reform proposal that was not discussed in a committee, but Arthur Lira placed it to a, a, a floor vote. And it was voted on the floor and it was approved. Uh, it died in the Senate, but nonetheless, uh, Lira did his part by placing this tax reform proposal to a House floor. Um, Arthur Lira did the same in February 22 with a bill to legalize casinos and gambling in Brazil. Um, this this uh, bill was not discussed in a committee, but Arthur Lira being the speaker, he had the power to place it to a House floor vote and he used this power. So he, he, he wants to um, use his power as the person who decides on the agenda of the House floor as, as most as he, as he can uh, in order to offer favors and in order to pose difficulties uh, for the government. And he wants to do the same now with the joint committees. Um, if the joint committees are back and they're back as they were, this means that the joint committees get a first say uh, on what on, on, on the rhythm of the discussion, on the pace of the discussion of the provisional measure. Arthur Lira, uh, if he had his way, he liked when this was bypassed and the provisional measure was discussed only and exclusively on the House floor because that's the power he has. He has the power uh, completely and absolutely about uh, the House floor. And it's interesting because this disagreement is being portrayed as a fight between the House Speaker, Arthur Lira, and the Senate President, Rodrigo Pacheco. And I think, you know, we need to kind of pause for a sec and try to understand this fight between the House and the Senate. Because, you know, we're not in this clear-cut position in Brazil where we have an obvious opposing forces in charge of each chamber of Congress. It's not like, you know, the House is in control of the left and the, 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 the right is in control of the Senate. In fact, Pacheco and Lira have often been on the same side in recent years. So, you know, what's going on here? Why why are they fighting or are they fighting? Okay, um, a lot of the press, a lot of the Brazilian press buys this framing of uh, uh, Pacheco versus Lira. I personally do not. I do not see this as a battle between Pacheco and Lira. I see this as a battle between Lira and the Constitution because the Constitution clearly states that there must be joint committees for the provisional measures. So uh, it's not up to Pacheco. Pacheco is not trying to gain any power. Pacheco is merely trying to reinstate the status quo and the constitution and the rules that were set in before the pandemic, before him and uh, Lira became Senate president and House speaker, respectively. Pacheco just wants the status quo back. Lira is the quote-unquote um, the, the political aggressor here. He, he's the one who wants to change the status quo. And one of the things that Lira is now proposing is that since um, the, the, the joint committees are going back, now Lira wants at least a, sm a smaller victory, and he wants to change the way that the joint committees work. So there is a Congress 2002 resolution not the Constitution, but a resolution by Congress, which, by the way, was signed by then-Senate President, the late Ramesh Tebich, which was the father of a minister, Simone Tebich. And this joint resolution defines the joint committees will be formed by 12 senators and 12 House members. So by an equal number of House members and senators. Lira wants to change this, and he wants... There, there uh, he wants for there to be more House members than senators in each committee. Uh, he proposes, for instance, 
uh, one one type of committee, such as the Joint Budget Committee, which has 30 House members to 10 senators. And the reason he's proposing this is because the House obviously is larger than the Senate. There are more lawmakers in the House than there are in the Senate. But of course, Ewan, this is also part of the design of the Republic, just like in the United States and in many other democracies with bicameral legislatures, the Senate is supposed to be the smaller, more exclusive club with less spots. It's harder to become a senator than it is to become a House member. And so it is up to the, it, it is because of the, this design that senators would get a larger say in some of the committees even when the numbers are equal because there are less senators. But this is part of the design. And so Lira is being very subversive here because he wants essentially in the in the topic of uh, joint provisional decree uh, committees, he wants to subvert the design that the fact that the Senate is supposed to be a smaller, more exclusive club. And how does all this affect the Lula government? Because, I mean, I'd imagine that his decrees aren't being approved amidst all this disagreement. So, you know, how big of a problem is this? Yeah, so uh, we are recording this on Tuesday. There are currently 26 provisional decrees uh, that is up to Congress to to discuss. Um, There are 12 of them in the coordination of the joint committees, which are not actually being formed so far. Um, there are 13 in the House because because of the, the change in the roles with the pandemic, now the, the, the provisional decrees are discussed in the House first. This is also something that favors Lira because now that the provisional decrees bypass the committees, the committees are not created, so the, the provisional decrees, they go first to the House and then to the Senate. This means, Ewan, that the House members and Lira they get as much time as they want before the deadline to discuss, and they can vote and send to the senators uh, with like two days left to the deadline. They can use up all the time to discuss the provisional measures, to prepare a, a report, to, pre- to prepare a different text, and send it to the Senate uh, with just minutes to go on the deadline. And you mentioned the Lula government. Some of these uh, provisional decrees are very important. For example... The provisional decree, which has the force of law, which readjusts the minimum wage, uh, it is in, in, the, in the floor, it is up to, for, for the Congress to discuss. There are some concerning uh, taxes, taxes on fuels, for example. Yeah, it's, it's a provisional measure by the, the Lula government that has not been defined yet if it's going to expire or not. And there is a provisional measure that recreates um, the Minha Casa Minha Vida, the house program, and also the, the one which recreates the Bolsa Família, the social stipend program. So some very important public policy for the Lula administration, they were reinstated by provisional measures early in the year, which allows them to be effective immediately. So people that receive the Bolsa Família, they have been receiving it for the last month, the last months, um, it, it's, it's been going on. The public policy is is going on right now, but it will expire by late April, early May, if Congress doesn't move on, on doing something. And Lira even uh, is doing all he can to show that he is in no rush. And speaking of the federal government, 
just something, you know, quite an interesting idea is like what, what way is the federal government leaning in all of this? Because would it prefer Lira to just get his own way just to, you know, solve things as quick as possible or the opposite? Okay, so Congressman Zeca Dirceu, uh, which is a, an important um, a, a congressman um, with the government, um, he's trying to defuse the crisis. This has also been the, the talking point among um, Lula Minister Alexandre Padilla, which is the minister in charge of relations with the Congress. So the people close to Lula publicly, what you're saying in press conferences is that Lira and Pacheco will come to an understanding and that the government is still uh, doing its policy and that everything that the government wanted so far to, that was really a priority, has already been approved, has already been voted by Congress, or is still on the deadline. So officially, the Lula administration, the talking point they, they want to sell is that everything is okay and everything's all right and keep calm and, and a resolution will come. And so, as you mentioned earlier, it appears that Arthur Lira might be, you know, backing down just a little bit, saying, you know, fine, we can have the joint committees, but the lower house has to have more members. Is this a kind of like a chink in the House Speaker's armour? Is is he as all-powerful as he's being made out to be? Yeah, Lira is essentially playing a dangerous game. He's playing a, a game of chicken uh, in, in international relations scholars, but uh, Americans might be more familiar with the game of chicken. The game of chicken basically is uh, there's you and another person. So you and me, uh, we're driving cars and we're driving cars across for each, for each other. And then we put the pedal to the metal and we race uh, and we see uh, who is the first to, to drive off the road. So if you're the first to drive off the road, you, you lose because you are chicken. You were afraid that we were going to crash. And Lira is trying to uh, tell everyone that he's got his hands on the wheel, he's, he's, he's uh, pushing his, his feet pedal to the metal, and he's not backing down that um, he will not be the first one to blink. He will not be the first uh, to be afraid to crash the car uh, with the government. And crashing, what, what, what would crashing be in this, in this situation? Crashing would be reaching the deadline for um, some very important uh, provisional measures with public policies uh, that affect uh, dozens of millions of people, including uh, very important uh, Lula voters, for example, poorer Brazilians that voted for Bolsa Família to, to come back with, with that, that same name and so on. Uh, so Lira is trying to show that he's not backing down. But as you said, this measure where he, he proposes now, he proposed now on Monday um, that he will accept the return of the joint committees if the House has a larger representation. It's, it's, it's essentially... He's trying to reach something that is good for him before the disaster that would be uh, reaching the deadline of these provisional measures. And we mean a real disaster. This is not an, under, this is not an overstatement uh, because it would affect uh, millions of people uh, that are dependent on public policy. And since Lula's election, when, you know, we've talked a lot about the heads of Brazil's Congress, you know, particularly Arthur Lira. What does it say about Brazilian democracy that a significant amount of power is vested in someone who, you know, if you look at it, was originally elected with less than a quarter of a million votes in comparison to President Lula and the more than 60 million votes that elected him? 
I, I understand the argument, but I think this is actually part of a three-branch uh, separation, um, just like it is in the United States and, and several other advanced uh, democracies. Um, the legislative is a separate power, and uh, it has its own rules. The argument could also be made that since House Speaker Arthur Lira was elected by 90% of the House, and the members of the House were elected by dozens of millions of Brazilians, you could argue that there is a larger consensus for Arthur Lira than it is for Lula, because Lula won with barely 50% of the vote, and Lira was elected as House Speaker by 90% of the House. Or you could make the same argument that in the Supreme Court, you've got 11 people which are not directly elected by anyone and they hold immense power. But I believe that is just part of the separation of, of three powers and it's part of, the, of democracy having this permanent debate about the role and the size of each of these three branches. Yeah, Sede, you're right. That sounds like a discussion that we should have another day. Thanks, Sede. That was excellent. Great to have you on the show and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you, Ewan. Uh, See you next time. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it'll help us reach a wider audience. Or, better yet, sign up for The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. Thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively and for our work, we have won and been shortlisted for multiple international journalism awards. More recently, our expose about the rise of hunger in Brazil was selected by the True Story Award as one of the world's 94 best stories of 2022. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening. And Explaining Brazil will be back next week.